Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Nashville Predators are proud to select from the Memorial Cup champions, the Windsor Spitfires, Ryan Ellis. And with our selection from HB71, Kevin Fiala. Welcome back to the On the Forecheck podcast. Uh, my name is Brian Bastin, and today I am joined once again by Eric, uh, a fellow writer at the On the Forecheck and a very, very busy man around this time of year. Uh, how are you doing today, Eric? Uh, good. Uh, draft stuff starting to catch up with me, so excited for Tuesday and Wednesday to come and go, but uh, doing well. Yeah, I mean, you, you said when we found out we had pick 11, you were pretty excited, but I think the fatigue probably starts to set in right around this time, huh? Yeah, also just not being prepared normally for having to do draft stuff in October. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. It's been a bit of an adjustment, so. Yeah, but hey, I mean, it's, at least you get to look at, like, you know, potential top 10 players instead of the bottom of the first round. I'm trying to frame it in that way. <laughs> You know, and, and the way this offseason is shaping up, you'll probably get to do it again next year. So, um, yeah. So, this is part two of On the Forecheck's draft preview podcast. Um, so, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off. And since we, we ended with Nashville's pick at number 11, um, just a quick interesting piece of trivia. Um, Nashville's had the num- number 11 pick overall twice. Once in 2009 and 2014. Now, Eric knows this, but I found this out just now from looking it up. Um, so the last two times they picked at number 11, the two players were Ryan Ellis in 2009 and Kevin Fiala in 2014. So not a bad hit rate, uh, even if Fiala is no longer with the team. And, but, yeah, so there's been players, and Nashville's done fairly well at, at this position, so I think there's a lot of, lot of options available. But... We've gone over that already, and so what we're going to start with, and we're probably going to go a little bit quickly, is what um, what's going to happen after Nashville picks. And so we're not going to run through and do every single pick between 12 and 37 when Nashville picks again, but I'm going to, um, you know, we'll talk about a few things. So there are four central teams that will be picking after Nashville, uh, Chicago at 17, Colorado at 25 with St. Louis at 26 and then Dallas of course will be picking at number 30 as the as the runners up. Um, what kind of players what kind of things do you think those four teams are going to be targeting at those positions? Yeah, so I mean Chicago's up first at 17 and that's an interesting pick for them I think and I think it's probably a bit lower than they thought they were going to end up being, but um, I think that area of the draft is right there in the teens. There's like a good run of forwards that are all going to be available there. Um, Rodion Amiroff, Jack Quinn maybe, or not, who's to say, Jacob Perot, Maverick Borg, Dylan Holloway, uh, Roni Hirman, and uh, Connor Zeri. Uh, I think one of those guys is probably going to be the direction they're going in. I mean, you know, this is a team that has needs across the board. There's no reason they shouldn't be taking best player available. And, um, you know, I think a number of those guys could, could pan out well for them. Uh, is uh, Maverick Bork, is that any relation or no? Uh, no relation, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, just just wondering. Um, 
Yeah, okay. Um, so that's yeah, that, that's Chicago. And again, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think there's just what I read a rumor just what, about maybe an hour ago that they're sending. Um, oh crap! Who did, who did Ole Mata. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's official. Yeah. So okay. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, you're probably right that they could pretty much go any direction at this point. They're kind of in a weird spot with their team, um, maybe getting themselves out of the let's bring everybody back in and try one more time uh, approach. So, all right, so that's Chicago. And then about eight picks later, we have the Colorado Avalanche, which, man, I hope they go with a bad pl- uh, player at this position because they're already stocked. So what do you think they're going to go there? Yeah, I mean, again, there's, you know, this draft is obviously really deep. Um, I think this is the territory when you're in your early or, I guess, mid-20s where uh, some other defenders start coming onto the board that um, you can maybe uh, take a take a look at. Um, you know, I'm higher on Noel Gundler, but I, I have heard his name circulated in the early to mid-20s a lot. Uh, you know, I think he's more deserving uh, of a pick higher in the draft than that. But if he's someone that's available to Colorado, uh, you know, I think that's a player they could hop on. Um, you know, if someone like Connor Zary falls, uh, you know, another example. But then on defense, I mean, you're going to have Helga Granz available. That's you're going to have, yeah, you're going to have um, ML Andre available. You're going to have William Wallander available. Um, I know. I have heard, and this is a player who's really hard to um, to project just because he was injured so much of last year and has unfortunately hit another setback. I've heard Justin Barron's name potentially sneaking into the, the end of the first round here. I was a defenseman for Halifax in the QMJHL. Uh, and then another player who I think is going to probably... Uh, be taken here in the back ten of the first round is Brendan Brisson, and um, I could see a team like Colorado making that choice, um, especially since they have got strengths at, at pretty much every position um, on the board. Uh, really? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I was say I'm not familiar with the, the prospect pool, but I mean they've they've got not really very many pressing needs uh, in their current lineup. I mean they've even got you know they've got a great defense core, and when you know Sammy Gerrard's what on the, on the third pair, so yeah. Yeah, um, and I know again. That's a. I think I might be higher on Sammy Gerard than most. I think you're you're the a person that's not as high on him as I am. But again, I think it's more sentimental on my side. <laughs> yeah, because he was the first. I think he's the first you know player I saw when I went to development camp that year. I remember watching him. I was like, oh, I like this guy a ton. And then of course they traded him like not very long after that. So um, I've learned not to get attached. I guess. All right. So that's the very next pick after the Colorado Avalanche is the St. Louis Blues. Yes. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, again, it's hard to, like, my strategy is always best player available, right? So, like, if you've got someone like John Jason Paterka there, like, I think that's a smart pick for them. You know, they've they've um, they've dived into the, the German talent pool before when they drafted Dominic Bach a few years ago. Um, but I can also see them going defense here. So, like, you know, if Barron's still on the board, maybe my assumption is Helga Grons will be gone by then, but I could be wrong there. Um, who knows how high Braden Schneider or Caden Gooley will go. Uh, you know, another name that – two other names, I guess, Toby Numella and um, someone else who's been rising a lot is Ryan O'Rourke. Um, so this is where, like, a lot of defenders start hitting the board, and I right. think that St. Louis, especially, you know, pending how – 
the Petrangelo situation shakes out. But even regardless, if it goes well for them, um, you know, they've got a pretty solid group of forwards, you know, young forwards on their team. So uh, I think defense might be their move there. But again, like, if you if you think John Jason Paterka is your best player available and he's there, like, there's no way to, to grab, not no reason you shouldn't grab him. Awesome, awesome. All right. Um, so after St. Louis, we've got Anaheim with their I think their second pick of the of the first round. Uh, then Ottawa with pick number three, I think, and this is the one they got from the Islanders, which I'm trying to remember what trade that was. Um, what trade was that? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I can. Uh, I can oh, uh, uh, John Gabriel Pajot. Oh yeah, that's right. Wow, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So and then at thirty, um, we have the. Western Conference champion Dallas Stars, the the off-season champions, as somebody once called them before this season started. <laughs> um, so, where do you where do you think they go with at, at this pick? I mean, this is essentially, you know, it's basically you're in that second round territory. Um, yeah, yeah, I think this is this is the area where you know teams start making moves that I think on draft night are viewed as questionable. Um, or reaches. I mean, like, you take a look back to last year, right? I think it was Boston who took John Beecher um, at the end of the first round, and that was always kind of viewed as a bit of a reach, although he did have a very um, good season at Michigan this past year. Um, So I think this is where some of that's going to start to happen. Uh, And a couple names, I guess, that come to mind are... Uh, well, as I mentioned earlier, like Brendan Burson, I, I actually don't think Brendan Burson would be a reach at the first end of the first round, but right. I can't see him getting out of the first. Um, I think someone like Tyson Forster is probably going to end up around this area uh, just because of his shooting talent. Um, I can see someone who I'm very low on. Uh, I do not think he is even a top 62 talent in this draft, but a lot of teams apparently like him and Jake neighbors going around this area. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe Jan Meshach. Um, and if you're still looking for a defender, I mean, uh, Jeremy Poirier, you know, William, I'm sure one of William Wanland or Andre will be still on the board at this point. Um, so I think there's a lot of directions they can go, but you know, I think this could be the area where, you know, like a forward, like Forrester, Brisson or, Ozzy Weisblatt or even Sam Colangelo sneaks in, um, and and a team snags them there. Yeah, I mean, and there's been there's a little bit of history at, at pick thirty of teams, you know, taking a taking a I guess at the time some, what was viewed as a risky player to take, um, but had a really good shooting talent with with Ellie Tolvin in three years ago. <laughs> yeah, um, which I guess I wish I was I was more plugged into to the, the Predators back then when that happened because. I don't know. I mean, what was the feeling like back then? And we'll only stay on this just for a few seconds. But you know, what was the feeling like as we as you saw him slide down the the draft board? Yeah, I mean, I think that was a more curious case than that. Like, I don't think anyone thought he wasn't a first round talent. I think that was pretty clear. I think it was just like as the night went on, it became clear that a lot of teams didn't see him as a sure bet compared to someone like. Uh, Gabe Velarde or Martin Nachos or I don't know Josh Norris for instance who or Robert Thomas who I you know at 20 Robert Thomas to the Blues was chastised as a, like a very safe pick as in like yeah this guy was probably like a surefire third liner but like right. why are you doing that if you can swing for a first liner and I mean Robert Thomas has had a very yeah. good NHL career today to, to this day but um, 
I mean, like, you know, the end of that first round was pretty interesting. Like, Morgan Frost at 27, like, I think he'll be a good NHL player. Shane Bowers is still working his way there. Uh, Clint Costin, um, you know, a lot of interesting players there. So, I don't know. I think it just became clear that everyone had their concerns about, you know, he's obviously either a home run pick or nothing. And, um, you know, at 30, you pretty much have the luxury of doing whatever you really whatever want. Whatever you want, so. exactly. The, the expectations are a little bit low. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So, um, as, you know, the, the last pick of the draft is actually the, the San Jose Sharks, which I believe is their... No, they have they have no, they didn't have that. The only one they've got is at number thirty-one from Tampa, mm-hmm. um, which again, I think most people thought that they got a good deal uh, from Tampa with the with the Goodrow trade, which you know I guess. But um, so yeah, and so you get. I'm guessing they're going to probably do best player available at that point. Seeing as yeah, they good. should. Um, and then okay, we start to see, um, you know, it is go by by record, and so Detroit. Will, Pick, have the first pick in the in the second round. You'll see Ottawa making their fourth pick in the top thirty three. Which, again, I don't know. I've heard a lot of, of I've heard more rumors about them looking at, you know, what they might want to do with number six as far as even being open to trading. Which I'm not sure. I don't know who would be, you know, really if there's Nashville would even have any interest in it. I don't think so. But um, yeah, and then San Jose, L.A., Anaheim, and then we come to number thirty seven. Um, 37 was Nashville, and this is the draft pick they received from the New Jersey Devils, where we sent P.K. Subban and got back uh, Jeremy Davies and um, dead weight Steven Santini and this pick. And so, yeah, this is, I mean, this is a pretty good opportunity, I think, especially considering the teams that are ahead of them, um, for Nashville to kind of go you know, they've got options with this pick, especially with the next pick coming five five minutes, uh, five picks later. So, okay, I'm gonna edit that out. All right, um, <laughs> with their yeah, with their with their you know, they've got their next pick coming just five picks later at number 42. So, so Eric, let's say you know, I guess assuming they're probably gonna draft or assuming they draft a forward. What do you see them doing at 37? Uh, I'm saying drafting a forward at number 11. What do you see them doing at 37? Yeah, I mean, I think they'll probably end up going forward here again. Um, like, you've got the luxury of having two picks so close to each other um, that you could probably flip-flop, but I think there is going to be a bigger run of forwards at this section of the draft than there will be defensemen. And I can also see a good number of defensemen dropping out of the first. Um like, if those players that I forwards I mentioned earlier slide into the first, like, Neighbors and Brisson and, you know, whomever, like, that's going to be pushing guys like Wallander and Nimella and Jeremy Poirier out of the first, right? Um, so I imagine they'll end up going forward here. Um, you know, I think some names that come to me as options, um, you know, a lot of people think, yeah, Meshach's going to be available then. I really can't say for certain whether that'll be the case. Right. Um, like but if, he, if he's there, you know, I think that's a pick they make. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping they stay away from someone like Sam Colangelo at that spot. I think if Thomas Bordalo is there, that's a pick they make. Um, I think if Murat Kusnadinov is there, that's definitely a pick they make, although I don't think he will be. Uh, I think that he will probably not make it out of the first few picks of the second round. 
Um, you know, some other forwards, I think they can probably still still get a few picks later, so I wouldn't reach on any. Those are probably the ones I target at that point. Um, but then if you've got guys like, you know, Lucas Reichel or, uh, you know, I don't even like Maverick Bork, I guess, or even Gundler who fall who slide out of the first, like and they're there at, at thirty seven, oh, like yeah. absolutely. Um it's really hard to tell. Like some teams draft boards this year are really all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh like I know a few teams have like Sam Colangelo as a surefire first rounder, which I think is questionable, but um Yeah, I was, I was so, trying to find him on, on your list and it's like, Oh, he's third round. Yeah, yeah. So um it's really hard to like pinpoint, but um you know, they're going to have their choices here, um, and if they end up going D at this this uh, pick, I think they'll go forward at the next one anyway. Right, and I think uh, you made a good point about them maybe wanting to go forward with this one because defensemen may drop a little bit, and they have a much – I think you'll get a little bit more value going forward first because um, probably the guy that they want on defense will probably still be there in five picks, I imagine. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I also think there's a group of defenders there who are all – fairly similar in how they like to develop defenders. So I don't think like names I'm thinking of here at this point are probably um Toby Numella, um, you know, maybe Ryan O'Rourke, but I don't know if he gets out of the first round. Uh Shakir Mukama uh oh god, his last name. Shakir Mukamadulin, uh and Damon Hunt. Um are kind of the three that come off the, the page to me, maybe Brock Faber as well. Right. Uh, and all of those guys are – Yoni Yermo is another name too, actually. Um, all those guys, I think they would be fine on nearly most of them um, in terms of those being prospects they like, those being prospects they know they can develop well. Um, whereas like someone like maybe Jeremy Poirier or Lucas Cormier, I think they probably will stay away from. Right. Um, but kind of hard to tell, so – Okay. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think yeah, I think we'll get the. It's going to be really hard to kind of sit there and say I think it'll this be this player, but you know, just because everything will change so much between eleven mm-hmm. and, and this. But yeah, okay. So that's you know, it's a, I think that's a good a good rundown of kind of what they're going to do at, at that spot. Um, and so after Nashville, at that point, um, you've got Buffalo, Minnesota, Winnipeg, and Carolina, and then Nashville is up again. And you know, like you said earlier chances are they'll go two forwards and a defenseman in some order. Um, especially, I guess, if they if they take a defenseman at 11, then, you know, it's probably both forwards at this spot, I imagine. So, yeah. um, you know, five player five picks later, you know, is there anything different, I think, you, you, you know, different players you would look at compared to what you just listed off? Because I imagine the reasoning will be that the same, you know, yeah. the same group of guys. Yeah, I mean, I think that bunch is pretty set. I mean, one guy that I'm really high on that I think they should take a swing at with their second pick if he's there, which I think he will be, is um, uh, Vasily Ponomaryov. Um, I think he's a really exceptional player. I think he's a near guarantee to be an NHLer. Um, I think that is he's a type of player they really value, and I think that would be good. Um, a good a good play there. I can also see them going down the route of like if we joke about like, you know, the American born player and all that stuff, college bound, like this is the pick where I can very much see them going after someone like Ty Smolanich or Luke Tuck from the US national team development program. Mm-hmm. Probably you know, partial to Smolanich there and just that he's a center. Um I think I maybe like Tuck better as ceiling wise, but um 
you know, I think Smolanich probably fits their, their mold a bit better. Um, so I think that may be where they go. I wouldn't rule them out going too forward here, even if they go forward at 11, right? Like, if they, if all the defenders left on the board are, like, Cormier and Hunt, and they're not high on either, or Cormier and Mukamadoulin, like, and Smolanich is there, or whomever, like, I could totally see them going three forwards, you know? Um, right. So, uh, but I think this is probably an opportunity um, where, you know, if they go forward at the first pick, seems likely they'll target defenseman here um, if they don't trade any of these picks. All right. And so um, I, we asked this about, I asked this about pick number 11. And again, I asked this as somebody who's still pretty ignorant to kind of the development process. Because again, for me, learning, you know, what, three years ago, it's like, oh, you have the draft. And then like, oh, you don't see these players for like three or four years. Uh, that kind of was odd to me because I'm so used to, you know, how football does it. But, um, you know, these, these picks, these two picks in the top of the second round, these, you know, how how long do you you see their their development process going before you start to see them even just make some appearances, you know, with with the Predators, maybe like three or four in a season? Are these four, three, four year projects? I mean, it's really hard to tell, right? Because like you have to take a couple factors into consideration, right? So if they're taking someone like Smolanich or Luke Tuck or you know Colangelo or whoever, then that's a player they know is going to college. So right. that is probably at a minimum, like, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, it depends on who it is, but I would say two, three years, sure. Um, maybe more. Uh, if you were taking someone like, you know, Kuznodinov, you know, that's a player who maybe stays in Russia a bit longer. If you're taking someone like, um, but, you uh, know, Panamaryov or who? I was going to say, uh, and- Emil Andre. Yeah, I mean, even in Milandre, like, you know, the thing that the pandemic has really, um, you know, opened up the question on is if you are a prospect playing in Europe right now, uh, you've all of a sudden got mm, hopefully a full year of development this season that some guys playing juniors, I mean, like the QMJHL is back, but like the OHL and the WHL, like, probably not for a couple months, you know, college, each conference is kind of doing it differently. It seems maybe who knows. Um, so like if you've got a guy like Helga Granz or, or whatever, like Toby Numella, who's playing in Europe, like, I mean, I think those guys are already like more pro ready just because of the style of play over there. But like all of a sudden, like you're looking at, you know, a bit of an accelerated timeline in that like, right. You take, for example, like Yusuf Parson, who was their seventh round pick last year, who, you know, all of a sudden is playing, a year later is playing first line minutes in the Finnish Liga. Like, that's a guy who you could see in Asheville or Milwaukee in a season or two, right? Um, whereas, like, if you're taking someone coming out of the juniors or the USHL, like, that's a bit of, uh, you know, delayed gratification. Um, yeah, and that's so, what you, I mean, that's the case you probably have with, uh, is it Cormier? Cormier or Cormier? Yeah, Cormier. Cormier. Yeah, in the uh, QMJHL, like he's that's probably three. That's probably three, four years minimum. I'm guessing, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you can use like someone like Frederick Gallard or Alexander Carey as a good example. Like they've been pretty consistent in how they develop their QMJHL picks. So like after Allard was drafted, um, he only played one more season in the QMJHL. Granted, it was his fourth season in the QMJHL, but then he jumped in and scored. 25, 24 points in Milwaukee the next year. Um, and then, like, someone like Alexander Carrier. And even, I mean, 
Sam Gerard's a bit of a different story, but um, yeah, Alexander Carrier, like same same situation. Like this is a guy who they took in 2015, who played one more season in um, in the queue, uh, his fourth, and then jumped right into Milwaukee. So I don't think they'll go like the Lucas Cormier route, but for sake, if they did, someone who one weekend into the QMJHL season has already been playing phenomenally has five points in two games. Um, like this will be his third Q season. So wouldn't surprise me if it's, you know, he's got one more and then he, he would go to the AHL or, or um, what, but you do have to keep in mind that the CHL AHL agreement. So, right. Uh, so that which is for, for our listeners who aren't aware with that. Yeah. So, so basically the, Number the only I mean the agreement is many things but the only rule that you really have to care about is um, a player who's drafted from Canadian juniors under the age of twenty cannot play in the AHL uh, so that's why like you have like Tomasino is a great example right if Philip Tomasino doesn't make Nash Will's roster this year he cannot play in Milwaukee because right. he's still under twenty uh, so he would have to go back to Oshawa right. And, and speaking of Tomasino, you know, is there, are there guys in this, you know, Tomasino is 24th, so I, I think that there might be a little bit of a difference here, but are there guys in this range of this, you know, maybe 28 to, to win Nashville picks that you could see being a, a guy that the next season puts up really great numbers and Nashville, you know, is, thinks that he could be ready to come up? I mean, is there anybody kind of available at that point in this late first, early second area that you could you see, you know, making a jump pretty quickly? Um, I mean, it's hard to say, right? Like, I think maybe the guys are probably going to be on someone like Jacob Perot or Maverick Bork to to carry that. I think a lot of people are hoping that that person is Tyson Forster, who, you know, you're talking about a player who's, like, shooting down his been compared to someone like Steven Stamkos back in, you know, when he scored 60 goals. Like, this right. is a player who has a lot of, like, mechanical pitfalls in his game, but also scored 80 points last year in 62 games for Barry, including 36 right. goals. And, I mean, I he'll undoubtedly hit 40 goals. I mean, short season, who knows. But in a full season, he'd undoubtedly hit 40 to 45, if not more, goals this year. So, um, and I think that's probably someone whose eyes are people eyes uh, people have their eyes on. Um, maybe Yan Mishak too would be another option there. Yeah, again, I've, in my little bit of OHL watching last season, uh, he was one of those guys I like a whole lot. And and so one thing I wanted to ask you is about these two picks is about a couple players. Um, one because again, this is a I don't know. I mean, you could say, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a joke at this point, but it's also entirely within the realm of possibility is, is Thomas Borlau, if he's available. I don't see him going past Nashville. Um, so what, what can you tell us a little bit about him? And obviously, you know, he's got the connection to Nashville. What do you, I mean, how do you think about him? Yeah, I think Thomas Borlau is a good player. I mean, you know, he was a standout on a U.S. national team that was significantly less talented than last year's class. Um, you know, outside of Sanderson, he is definitely their top prospect. Um, he's a really good shooter. Um, he is someone who can get the puck off when moving with pace. He's got good ability to, um, you know, he doesn't commit to a single shot option off the rush and call it a day, even if the goalie, you know, covers that hole or, or a defenseman makes a good adjustment. Um, he can react quickly and, and kind of make those adjustments as needed. Um, 
really good passer. I think he's got really good vision in the offensive zone, mm-hmm. um, able to pull the puck through a lot of obstacles. I think for him it's just about, you know, like attacking the inside with more consistency, um, a bit more speed in transition, um, and just developing that game. I mean, he's going to a Michigan program next year, who, which is going to be really good. Um, really, really good. Um, and, like, this is a team that could have... Michigan's a team that, that has a lot of... was already has all, already a lot of great prospects, is getting a ton more commitments, and is going to have two potential top ten picks in next year's draft on their team this year. Um, so you know, it'll be a great opportunity for him to shine. Um, I think he's built to play, he's built to be a very good college hockey player. Um, but I can also see him taking, you know, two, maybe three years in college to really um, bulk up and, and and get to a professional kind of pace. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, cool. Well, again, that's, again, because that's a name that we're probably going to hear a little bit as, as it gets towards Nashville's pick. And uh, so, yeah, I wanted to throw that in there just to kind of get an idea and the other person I wanted to ask you about, and again, this is somebody that you don't have ranked really very high, um, you know, compared to where Nashville is picking, is, um, you know, uh, Afanasiev's teammate in Windsor. Um, is it Foodie or Foudy? Which one is it? Foodie. Foodie. So Jean-Luc Foodie. Um, I like him a lot. I like his skating a whole lot. Um, I know a lot of people, you know, they have some issues Um with kind of just his overall game, but what do you think about him? And do you think that he should, he should even be an option for Nashville at one of those two picks? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it would hurt. Um, I just think there's higher, there's probably going to be higher ceiling on the board there. Um, Foodie, I mean, he's really intriguing in that he's a really excellent skater. Um, He's one of the best skaters in this class, undoubtedly. And he, I mean, he's just got great control of his edges, both inside and out. Um, you know, just really good power in his hips, really good leg, leg strength. His skating mechanics are excellent. Um, he just moves with such great pace, but he plays the game like Matt Barzell, except not as good. Uh, <laughs> and that he's just constantly, I mean, like, he'll, he could skate, like, they'll he could skate 60 minutes around the offensive zone and never lose the puck and never get tired and also never get a scoring chance. And it's just like, like at a certain point, some NHL development staff is going to be like, all right, like you have to attack the middle. Like you have to attack the inside. You have to get these higher danger areas. You have to get scoring chances on net, right? Like, I don't think that's going to be a consistent problem moving forward, but it's also something we haven't seen him tested at the level this level so far. So my concern is like, if you've got a higher ceiling player on the board versus this player who, you know, we know his skill level and it's very good, but like he either can't or won't make the plays he would need to at the NHL level at the OHL level, then like what's going on there. Right. And like, yeah, I love Mar- Matt Barzell. And to be clear, John Lucudi is not as good as Matt Barzell was. Like no, Matt Barzell no. was a legitimate like star level player. Right. And I love Matt Barzell. I think he is a great player. I think you, well, I could have watched any game of the Eastern Conference Final this year. Like that last game, like he mm-hmm. when they were on that power play, he tried to enter the zone three different times, and it didn't work all three times, and just lost the, like lost the play, right? And it's like those are the habits that you can't have someone carry over to a higher level. Yeah. Except for Barzell, it's kind of like oh, he does this every now and then, and it's like a thing, right? With John Lufudi, it's every single shift. Like this is all he knows, right? Yeah. And it's just like 
at a certain point, like, you've just got to change course here. So, you know, if they take him, I don't think it would be a terrible option. Um, but I think there will be higher ceiling on the board uh, at that pick. Yeah, and I mean, it just as, again, if, if you're like me and you, you've only seen him or know about him because you, you were following a little bit of Afanasyev did, Last season, so I completely forgot that Afanasyev led the led the Spitfires in goals last year um, and points. I think, points, right? Yeah, yeah, sixty-seven. He's thirty-one and thirty-six, which is pretty pretty awesome. And of course, the most important stat, he was a plus fourteen. In his <laughs> um, but I think you know, I, again, the good thing I think one of the good things about uh, Foodie being drafted would be that we we have a little bit of inside access with the Windsor folks. But um, yeah. Um, but yeah. It's it, that, it's really interesting. As somebody again, I, I I tend to have like, oh, I like this guy. It's because how oh, I watched five games with him. So yeah, that's the guy I like. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So okay. So that's you know we we've talked about a little bit what the options are with with Nashville at those two picks. And again, you you said that it's not outside the realm of possibility that that Nashville goes even three forwards. Um, but more likely, if they do go to defender, it'd probably just be one and then two forwards. Um. You know, I think NHL.com, I just, I just looked up, and they're talking about every team in the Central's needs, and they said that Nashville's most pressing need was defenseman depth, which I don't know that I entirely agree on the, with that. Um, but, you know, I don't know here's that... My, here's, my, here's my take on the matter. We should ban all articles saying here's what this team's needs are ahead of the draft. Yeah. Because every team's needs are all of them. Right, yeah. <laughs> but to not even mention the fact that, you know... Two top six forwards are, are gone. You know, it's yeah. it's just odd to me, really, um, that that's that was the angle they went with. Um, so yeah, no, I guess my last question for this is, you know, if if we survive the scare at, with at pick number eleven with Askarov, uh, there's no there's no goalies in this range that that people start looking at, right? Yeah, I don't think another goalie's probably going to come off the board until round three. Um, so I think second round is safe. Yeah, you've got the kid from uh from from Gulf. Uh, I think there's potentially three or four goalies that come could, not, could come off the gra- the board in round three though. Right. Which is a lot. So. Yeah, and and again with the Askarov thing, um, you know, I I I messed with you for a long time about about you should do your preview, and we're gonna apparently get a a, a something about why Nashville should draft Askarov despite our obje- objections. Apparently. Um, um, but you know, again, I just, I, it's hard for me to sit there and say why, like, you know, this is a goalie that you should definitely take because it just, you know, goaltenders are just such a, a enigma. You know, you can take a guy in the first or you can take a guy in the seventh and, you know, yeah, there's going to be a little bit more chance that the guy in the first turns out pretty good, but I don't know. It just seems like it's such a, a hard position to project that why would you, if you really need a goaltender, why not take one a little bit later, um, yeah, I just don't understand that pick, especially with with Ingram. I know that there's not a lot much, not a lot of depth past that, but I mean, you've got your third, you've got your guy to back up Soros, so I'm not quite sure, you know, really what what the real logic is of, besides maybe getting clicks on that. So, yeah, I mean, I think the justification there is like if they get there and literally every guy on their board is gone, like you know, Jarvis, Quinn, whoever. And Askroff is there, and he's clearly BPA. Like, do it, obviously. You know, um, like you shouldn't reach for like, you know, I don't know, Hendrix, Lapierre, Maverick, Bork, just because you need a forward, right? 
Because, like, Askarov could legitimately be, like, a franchise goalie, but I don't think that would be the case, so. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, like I said, LaPierre was one. Isn't he, he's one of the guys that they, that we've heard a little bit of chatter about with Nashville. Yeah. Which is yep. a little bit worrying. Um, yeah, okay, cool. So, you know, that, that'll, that'll cover Nashville's first three picks. And so, again, you know, we've, we've talked about the options and where, you know, the directions that you, you think that Nashville should go. You know, what overall, so, you know, they make these picks. Let's just say that, you know, whatever combination of players they do, you know, what are the expectations that you want to see out of these first three picks? You know, again, you have, you have three picks in the top 45. You know, what is it that you think Nashville should, you know, wh- how they should feel coming out of this? You know, are you coming out with a couple of guys that can be helpful in, in two or three years? I mean, what are they... What's the goal, I guess, really, just from a high-level perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think the goal is pretty similar to what it was. Well, I don't know if this was the goal last year, but what ended up being the result last year in that, in that like, you know, in three picks, uh, all of which were lower down the board than the three picks they have this year, they got a legitimate, almost very probable top, top six NHL player, they got a middle six potential top six to middle six NHL player and a player who is going to take a bit longer to get there, but I'm pretty sure will be an NHLer, which like data shows like there's only like 60 something guys that come out of every draft that are actual NHLers. And so anything beyond like who's the, the third one you're talking about? Alexander Campbell. Oh, Campbell. Okay. Uh, so. If you're anywhere past 60 and you're getting, like, legitimate NHL talent, I think it's a steal. So uh, I think the the strategy should be the same. I see no reason why you shouldn't come out of these three picks with three legitimate, like, guys that you can, that evaluators that we can look at and say, that's someone who, the only way he's not making the NHL is if something goes sideways, you know? Um, And obviously it's hard to know for sure, right? But, like... This isn't somewhere where they should be like taking someone like Tyler Clevin or, you know, I don't know, like even like uh, my biggest fear would probably be Will, Will Cooley. But like, why is that? So, I was going to ask you about that. He's just a very, he's a very one-dimensional player. I I like he again. He suffers from he's got he's got a really great shot, which is wonderful. But like. If you can't get open, if you can't move in transition, if you can't adjust to closing shooting lanes, if you can't look, you know, anywhere outside of your normal cone of vision when you have the puck on your stick, then what does a good shot even do for you? Right. So, like, yeah, against junior players, he can fire a snapshot from the top of the circles and score nine times out of ten, but he won't be able to do that at the NHL. And I just don't see enough in the rest of his game that he can, like, suddenly flip a switch and it's good all of a sudden that he'll be an impact player at the next level. Um, I also think it's very concerning that he basically equaled his scoring output year over year. Um, And he's not a younger player in this class at all. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, that's... Oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it is... It's it's interesting. He's a guy that, again... I, I can't really... I couldn't tell you the finer points of these guys' games or anything like that, but he seemed like a guy that should have ha- like had higher expectations last season and didn't really meet them. Um, yeah. 
I think that's fair. I mean, I think it's also the curse of the Helenka Gretzky tournament, which is yeah, basically anyone who is on Canada's roster for the Helenka Gretzky tournament, people are like, oh, he's probably a first-round pick, when in reality that is never the case. Yeah. All right. So before we move on, I'm going to ask you another couple questions. So like number 11, Nashville has picked twice at, tw- at 37. Um, once in 2003 and once in 2012, would you – Venture a guess without looking who either one of those players was. Well, a defenseman and a forward. Was the forward in 2012? Yes. Uh, I feel like I know who it is, but I'm afraid to guess. It was one of it my... Was, it, it was somebody that I liked a whole lot, but... That was the Sissons draft, but I don't think it was Sissons' pick, right? No, was it... Europe. Was it Pons Auberg? It was Auberg, yes. Wow. Um, and then the other was 2003? Yeah. Defense I have no Bump, idea. The OJHL. It was uh, Kevin, Kevin Klein. Klein. Yeah. Um, yeah. But interesting, you, you talk about 37, because uh, back in 2008, there was a there was a pick at, at number 38, which was um, some fellow from out of uh, SC Bern uh, in Switzerland uh, by the name of Roman Yossi. But I don't think there's going to be a Roman Yossi-type player at that point. So... Uh, <laughs> You know, how did he project coming out? Just real quick. We won't dwell on that. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, again, when you're in the second round there, like, you're going to start taking guys that even, you know, 2008 doesn't seem like that long ago, but, like, even then, like, teams weren't expending a ton of scouting in abnormal places. So, you know, uh, there's a good chance that, like, I would – Almost venture to say, almost venture to guarantee that not all thirty teams scouted Roman Yossi that year, Um, which seems like a mad. You'd be like, how? Like, how could they not that not happen, right? But like, again, like non traditional area, non uh, like teams have limited budgets. Like they're only going to send scouts to places they really know, right? Right. And so it's really hard to say in that case. But yeah, Yeah, I'm super bummed that the game um, in Switzerland that I guess either would have should have already happened or is, would have been... Yeah, it would have happened already. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there was a bunch... I mean, man, there was a real chance I could have gotten to go to that game just for the fact that uh, I talked to their GM and she's very nice and she had made you know made some initial plans to, to see what she could do. So, pretty bummed about that. Um, okay, and then Nashville did, had, had three picks at 42. Um, one in 2001, which was uh, Thomas Slovak. Um, from Slovakia, uh, ironically. Uh, the second was in 2009, which was Char- Charles Olivier Roussel. Don't know much <laughs> about him. But in 2014, they had a, a guy, uh, somebody who uh, played a big part in a recent trade. Who do you think that was? A forward. Kamenev. Yeah. Which, is he He's is he still, he's not over here anymore, right? He's over in... Yeah, he went back to Russia. That's what I thought, Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, that's kind of what Nashville has done at those positions. Um, 45 was Afanasiev last year. 47 was Sammy Gerrard. Uh, 49, they took Shea Weber. And at 50, they took Colton Sisson. So there's there's guys in the top 50 um, out there. You know, it just depends if you get lucky. You know, for every, for every Shea Weber at 49, you also have an Austin Watson at 18. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit of history on that. So, after this, it's really hard to sit there and try to project, like, okay, who are going to be the guys in, in the third round? But 
You know, the third round, again, Nashville has two picks. Once again, they've got uh, 70 and 73. 70 comes from, I believe, the Fiala trade from Minnesota. Uh, no. I think that was a draft day trade they did last year. Oh, that's right. Because I think that was – was that when we when we were hoping they'd take um, um, Kaliev and then they, tra- they traded back or something? Yeah. Yes, I believe so. Okay. Um, and I know that you have a, I think it's out, right? The, your third overall draft board? Correct. The third, third round draft board? Correct. Yeah, and so um, so looking at some of the, um, again, I talked about Nico Dawes, um, a goaltender, which at, th- at this point when you've got 70 and 73, I'm perfectly okay with, with going going after that. Um, yeah, I mean, they typically invest in goalies in later rounds, but I think they should definitely go with one here. And Dawes isn't even the goaltender I like the most, which would be Joel Blomqvist, but I think Dawes is closer to being pro-ready, and I think that's something they should prioritize. Right. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. I missed Blomqvist. That's right. Um, and then another one which is interesting to me is uh, Zion Nybeck, which... I, I, for some reason, I feel like he had a higher, you know, higher rating. I guess maybe going into the last season, and it seems I don't know. I might, I might be wrong. I might be thinking of somebody else, but it seems kind of I don't know. Is he somebody that was projected before the year started to be right around this area, third rounder? Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. That's a really hard situation to read. So nearly everybody I've talked to is much higher on him than round three, mm-hmm. um, but. Bob McKenzie's draft board, who which is notoriously the closest to real life because of his access to all that, uh, yeah, because he does. He has him at seventy three, which is pretty shocking to me. And I think Promins latest had him in the nineties. Um, so I really don't know what's up there. It can't only be a size thing. Um, I really don't get it. I mean, he oh, is gosh, he's a player. Twenty five. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a player. I if he's available at one of those two picks, they should absolutely take him. Yeah, um, he remind, may remind viewers of Victor Arvidsson, but he's more of a pure shooter. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a good way to describe. Well, it. Uh, I, I, on that note, he won't come into the zone, take five strides, and wind up for a slap shot from the far edge of the cir- top of the circle. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Arvidsson does every single time. Yeah, because that's you know Arvidsson does that, or they use him to screen the goalie, which is you know an yeah. interesting thing, a strategy to take. But apparently, it worked for a couple of years. So you know, what do I know? Um, so yeah, there was Zybeck there. You've got as a, as an option. Um, is there anybody else I think that you had on your draft board, which again you can find this set on the board check. I believe it was published oh uh, a couple days ago um, for right, uh, yeah. on the draft board. Yeah, I mean there's three other guys there that I would really take a look at um, who are um, and and two of them I'm really high on. Um, actually, really all three of them I'm high on. But um, the first one is 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 Demo Nickel, who's a Defender for Drummondville in the QMJHL. Um, I think he's a really, re- I'm really high on him. I think he's a really great player, um, really solid prospect. And I think this is someone whose ceiling is probably as like a bottom pair defender in the NHL. Mm-hmm. But as like a, you know, people, especially this offseason, right, are like salivating or like Dylan DeMello and like players like that on your bottom pair, right? Like, I think this is a guy whose name is going to be in that conversation in a few years down the line. And like this team, this organization's got to get away from it, filling those holes with like, you know, a rotating cast of below replacement level players. And 
he's someone who I think is like a legitimate like bottom pair mainstay um, and just plays the game in such an intelligent way. So I know that's not like a sexy pick. Like you're not like hoping he turns into like a top pairing guy, but like that's a, like a long-term investment. And if you can swing that in the third round, again, bear in mind, really only like 60 real NHLers a class, I think that's a great value there. Right. Um, yep, yeah, there's a couple other guys you like quite a bit there. Around the yeah. So another one is, is Martin Kromiak, who, again, I'm very high on, but um, I'm hearing a lot of third-round whispers with his name. Um, came over from Slovakia halfway through the year to Kingston, um, scored uh, 33 points in his last 28 games there. Uh, he had the um, sixth-highest uh, even strength primary points per game rate of OHL forwards um, last oh, yeah. season uh, behind Byfield Rossi, Perfetti, Quinn, and Tyler Tulio. Um, he's one of the youngest players in the class. Uh, he's real, I mean, just tons of skill with the puck, really creative. I think that there are some pitfalls there. Um, I think he, he kind of thinks the game a little faster than he plays it at a time, but I think those are correctable issues. I don't think it's anything that's you know, should severely scare a team off. And, like, again, if you're getting someone who could potentially score 20 goals a year in the NHL in the third round, by all means. You know, I think the one big flag is that he was playing with Shane Wright, who will very likely be the first overall pick in 2022, um, who is, you know, in the same conversation as Connor McDavid was at his age. Um, and so people are saying, oh, well, how much of an effect did that have on him? But, you know, there's only so much diligence you can do on that question, and then you have to take a risk, so why not? Yeah, Um, and so, again, I think there's not a ton of comparable, I mean, well, let me put it this way. So historically, Nashville has had the number 70 pick once in 2009 um, uh, with Taylor Beck, um, he had 92 games in the NHL. I'm not sure how many of those were with Nashville, um, if any. And then uh, 66, which is, I guess, a, kind of in a similar range, was, was Jimmy Vesey, which, you know, hey, he's had an NHL career, just not with Nashville. <laughs> um, they didn't have any at 73, um, but most recently, in t- another 2009, uh, they had uh, Michael Lotta uh, at 72. So... Um, guys that we know now, I think 76, you have Rem Pitlick. Um, 78 uh, is the mysterious uh, Frederick Allard. <laughs> I say just mysterious because I'm just, I don't know. Um, uh, Nashville's picked at number 79, somebody who has taught my daughter hockey, which is Cody Franson. Uh, <laughs> and then you get, uh, I think, one of, another pick that people might know is there's Thomas Novak at 85, and then they took uh, Ference at 92. So, okay, so after the third round, you know, again, it's two rounds with Nashville have, has, has two picks, so they've got to be really happy about having five picks in the top three rounds. Um, but they've got nothing in the fourth this year. Mm-hmm. And then they've got, what, one in, one pick in, in the fifth, I believe? Yep. Yeah, and, and again, you, have a, you already have a story up talking about the draft board. We don't have to get really deep into it, but actually, let's, just, let's do it this way. So they've got a couple picks left at this point. You know, what are the what are the guys at that point where you go you take a you just kinda of take a swing on a guy that's gonna be a project and hope that you get somebody who's you know, who will pleasantly surprise you like like Parson in last year. Yeah. I mean it's not even almost like a project thing because I don't think Parson is that much of a prospect. I think it's just a 
an oversight, really. Like, it's just teams not doing their diligence, right? And, like, you know, I don't think it was really hard to project that Parson would be playing at the level he is now, but, you know, I guess some teams just didn't like his game, which is fine. Um, I mean, a couple guys that come to mind, um, Leo Luf, who's a defender um, from Sweden, uh, another interesting player, not particularly stand out on defense, but uh, or on offense, but um, I think he's really solid defensively. I think he's a pretty good skater. Um, I think as he gets older, his decision making pace will probably improve, and that will be good. Um, Anton Johansson is another defenseman who comes to mind. Out a lot of the year with injury, but really impressed when he was in the lineup. Fantastic skater, great transition player, good vision up ice, um, moves with his head up. Uh, I think he's a really intriguing prospect. I hard to tell where he's going to go just because of the injuries, but I think if he's there in round three, they should take him. Um, a couple other guys that come to mind. Uh, who else? Who else? So you're, you're um, a big fella. Uh, listed from the USA, uh, USHL. Oh, yes. Carson Bantle. Really? Uh, Carson Bantle, very interesting player. It's really hard to tell what teams are thinking about him this year. So for context, the, he played for Madison in the USHL last year, right. who was the worst team in the league by a lot. Um, they were very bad. Uh, and But he led the team in scoring. Um, yes, point for game player. Yeah, and that was including after they traded away their second best player of the trade deadline. So... Mm-hmm. Um, you know he's he is a project, but he's also six foot four, if not taller. Yeah. Um, his skating is okay; it's not fantastic, and there's some mechanical things that need to be fixed there. Uh, he's, I mean, not the most graceful player with the puck, I guess, but he also has very uh, consistent, impenetrable layers of. of possession protection when he gets the puck on his stick. I mean, this is really a player that's hard to get off the puck. So, Big deep um, boy. Yeah, I mean, I think that it doesn't hurt. Again, he's going to college. He's going to be – he's committed to Michigan Tech, so it's going to be a few years anyway, but um, an option there. Um, another guy that I, I projected for maybe a six-round option that I'm very high on is um, Pateri Puhaka, who is uh, an overager, actually. This is his second year of eligibility, mm-hmm. um, which typically comes with a flag. You know, people get really high on overagers because, like, Pavel Gogolev, for example, plays for Guelph in the OHL, like, scored, like, 94 points this year, and people are like, 94 points, like, you got to take him. But he's also, like, 20, so, you know, uh, that's why he scored 94 points. <laughs> um, 96 points, excuse me. Um but Buhak is a bit of a different story. He's not so much an overager because he couldn't really crack the U20 lineup last year. Carbat, which is the organization that Pecorino came from, is just like a really good development team, and their pipeline is just always stock full of players. Right. So it's it's pretty hard to get consistent ice timer there. But he um, has moved on to a different organization in Tapara. He's playing in that and finished league this year. Um, was a point-per-game player last year at the U20 level, mm-hmm. over a point-per-game player at the U18. And bear in mind, point-per-game player at the U20 level as a, uh 18-year-old, not right. as a 20-year-old or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well over a point-per-game at the U18 level the year before. Um, smaller player, very very quick. Not the best skater, but not a terrible skater. Good shot. Um, you did pretty well at uh, juniors, too. 
yeah, I got some minutes with the U20 team. Um, really good shooter. Uh, really just tenacious on the puck. I think this is a guy that, like, again, like, you should be looking at these junior levels worldwide in these later rounds and saying, like, okay, who are guys who were um, overperforming, right? And mm-hmm. then figure out whether that overperformance was an anomaly or not. And if you think it wasn't, then there's no reason you shouldn't be taking swings on these guys. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So uh, again, just because I've done it with the other two rounds. So at in the fifth round, they've got uh, one thirty pick one thirty five. So uh, at pick one thirty five, they've never done anything with that. They had Gabby Bork at one thirty two. Um, Spencer Statsny a couple years ago was at one thirty one. Um, but then after that, like around that area, not really a ton of players. Uh, historically, that they, the Nashville's come out with. Um, and then I think in round six, I believe they are. What's the pick number? Um, I figured you would know this off the top of your head. Uh, 166. Mm-hmm. So 166 historically. Jeff Foss. Oh, RBI legend. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> anything about him. So, um, yeah, um, there was. Uh, around that area, other players that people might be familiar with. Um, there was um, Emil Pedersen in 2013 at 155. Um, there was Mike McKenna at, at 172. Yeah. Oh, and Hanthony and Potato at 168. My eyes just, like, re- reflectively glazed right over him. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's, there's stuff to be had. I mean, really, you know, you get... You get it's really kind of a grab back at this point, and it's a matter of again, like you said, do you have scouts out there working these these areas? And um, you know, it's it's again, you may have guys that surprise you. You know, this is you can get people in in the sixth and seventh rounds that will end up you know being people that contribute at the NHL level, even if it's something like like Anders Lindbeck, you know just being like an eternal backup uh, wherever you get went, you know, 130 games in the seventh round. You've got Hornquist at 230th. <laughs> um, and, and you know, and again, of course, you've got Pecorine in the eighth round that doesn't even exist anymore. Um, so, again, yeah, I mean, I think at this point, this is where we're going to rely on you to tell us about these, some of these players that they pick um, late on day two. Um, so really kind of going, really looking over this, you know, Nashville is, they're in a good position with, with pick a number 11 to really get somebody who can make an impact within a few years. And then uh, still a really good position. If anything, if a couple of good things came out of that Subban trade, besides the fact that his play went downhill last year, um, was, you know, a guy like Jeremy Davies that came over and having that second round pick from, from New Jersey, so I mean I think they could I think you know if you're a Nashville fan you could you should be able to walk away from this draft feeling pretty good I mean I really I really think so and may, again probably, maybe not immediately you're not going to get that guy who's going to play in the NHL next year or anything like that but you know it's I think these are guys you're going to they, they don't have depth at this you know these types of skill levels I think at this point um, a ton of it so I think this will be a really good year and. If it was up to me, I'd like to see this type of a draft again next year of a you know top fifteen pick and uh, you know really kind of get things moving in the right direction as far as development goes. Um, um, we will be right back. We've got a few more things that that Eric and I will go over, but we're going to go ahead and um, throw to the ads. And so yeah, 
Um, we're going to let you listen to those, and then we'll be right back. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right. And we're back. So we've gone over what Nashville... You know, some of the options and some of the things they're going to do in, in next week's draft. We are actually, at the time of recording, about 43 hours away from the, from the first round of the draft. And so it's, it's coming. It's all this prep that, that Eric and, and Eamon have done. Um, it's all going to come to a conclusion here in just a couple of days. Um, but, you know, we, want, we wanted to maybe close this out by taking a look back and seeing what happened last year uh, with a draft that honestly kind of, you know, turned out a whole lot better than, than, than expected. So uh, I'm going to yield the floor to you, Eric. Um, and I guess we can, you, we've kind of, everybody's talked at length about this guy, but we can start with uh, the first round pick last year at, at number 24, which was, was Philip Tomasino, which again, I think he was the guy that you picked in the uh, SB Nation draft, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so again, maybe the, maybe the trend will continue with Mercer, but you know, what kind of season did he have last year, Eric? Yeah, I mean, fantastic season from Tomasino. Um, pretty much everything they hoped for. Hit 100 points, top five score in the OHL. Um, right on pace with Connor McMichael of the London Knights, who was taken the next pick later by the Capitals. Um, I mean, all signs point to him being a top-line player in the NHL. Um, should get that chance starting this season, whenever that happens. Uh, you know, nothing very bad at all to say about his 2019-20 year. Yeah. I mean, again, and, and to put it into perspective, like, I watched some um, Niagara games, and whew, that was a rough game to watch, and he still played pretty pretty well. Um, and, again, I know that a lot of the Windsor folks um, have <laughs> been pretty adamant at me about saying they're not going to they're not going to play him in Nashville next year. They're not going to, you know, he's not... <laughs> He's gonna be in. He's gonna be in the in uh, in Oshawa all year. I don't know what you're talking about. Which I feel bad because I can understand because they're psyched about him being there next year. Um, but again, you know, from from what we heard from somebody within the organization that they almost kept him this year. So um, I don't think it's that far out of the realm of possibility, especially considering you're gonna have to now play guy. You lose Grandlin, you lose Smith, which are two. You know, I guess I, maybe last year you would technically call them both top six players, but they were top six players. Um, you know, where do you where do you think if when Tomasino is in Nashville, where do you where are you putting him and who are you putting him with? I mean, they're probably going to end up playing him on the wing. Yeah, I and imagine like with alongside like Duchesne or. I mean, it's hard to say, right? Like, you know. Let's say Terrace isn't gone. Are they playing Terrace at wing? Or are they playing Terrace at center? Let's say Duchesne and Johansson both stay, which like seems to be the course of action here. But you know, right. all the speculation lately. Um, you know, I think I, alongside either of those two really is fine. Like he's a utility. Like he can 
play alongside anyone, you know. Uh, I guess Duchesne probably makes sense in that he provides Duchesne with a little more pace to the game and, you know, has that playmaking ability. But, you know, I think we should pump the brakes a little bit in that, like, this isn't, you know, I hope this goes without saying, but this is not somebody who like, we should expect him to show up night one and oh yeah, no. throw up five points. Like, there's going to be growing pains along the way. And, you know, a 30-point season is not should not be considered bad by any stretch. Oh, no, I'd be overjoyed you know? with that. Yeah. So um, I think just a word to the lines there. Definitely. And, you know, again, like, I mean, I don't know, again, you know about more about this than I do, but... I mean, I probably would have liked to see him in Oshawa one more year before doing this move, but, uh, you know, they seem eh, to... He's too good for the OHL, so... Well, yeah, but you said he couldn't He couldn't play in the AHL next year, right? Yeah, so it's really like, okay, do you... I mean, I'm fine with it because it's like, at the very least, you're getting him adjusted to, like, the lifestyle, you know? Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was like the same thing... This is the same debate that people had with Mitch Marner back in the day, which was... Do they send him back to London where he was clearly too good for the OHL or throw him to the fire in Toronto? And, you know, I think either way it turns out fine. But, like, mm-hmm. he also scored 116 points that last year in London and then hit 61 points the next year in Toronto. You know, I don't think Thomas is going to be scoring 60 points next year. but Yeah, I mean, you're rare comparing Marner. <laughs> So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So yeah, that's Tomasino. And again, you're gonna. I just don't see him. You know, they're gonna have him in Nashville most likely. But I also don't see him as that. Okay, this is a rookie, so we're gonna stick him on line four or the third line. Like, I don't see them doing that with him. Um, so yeah. So yeah, that's somebody that we're gonna keep an eye on and see what happens with that. Um, the next pick that Nashville had, and I believe this is after they traded back. I think this they traded back their second round pick. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So um, to to Minnesota, and they went back to three spots to uh, number forty five, and that's where they picked up um, Twitter favorite uh, Igor Afanasyev um, out of Muskegon in the USHL. And so, you know, tell us tell us about him and how he did he played last year. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can have two players in the OHL in their draft plus one year who lead their team in scoring, you know, it's a very envious position to be in for any organization. So not 100 points, you know, 67, I think, but um, still very good for a first-year OHL player. Um, And a second-round pick at that, um, I think I'll to have another kick at the can here in Windsor this season, and I would expect to see him in Milwaukee uh, the season after. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, so that was it for the second round, and then Nashville then had pick number 65 in round three with um, Alexander Campbell out of the BCHL at Victoria. Yeah, um, Campbell's a player I really like. Uh, He was in Omaha in the USHL this past season, uh, led them in scoring, um, and he'll be headed, or he is already at uh, Clarkson University. Um, we have a bit of clarity on the ECAC, which is the conference Clarkson plays in, a bit more than the other conferences. Uh, there's been some reports that they had decided on a season starting in January, um, 
playing 20 in-conference games and teams could decide on their own if they want to play out of conference. It would be the league would be split into two divisions, the New York based teams versus the non-New York teams. Uh, and they would focus on that division. The one thing that throws a wrench into things with the ECAC is it's the conference that has the Ivy League schools in it, and the Ivy League has uh, suspended all sports until after January 1st. So and there's almost no guarantee the ECAC is – there is almost a guarantee the ECAC won't be coming back until the new year, um, and then you're going to end up seeing some sort of truncated season. So, I mean, this is obviously a player that they would – like to be playing as much as possible, but it isn't someone who, you know, like there's been a lot of clamoring at, at like, oh, like they should be sending guys to Europe and loaning them out there as some teams are doing, but like this is also a player who's like getting a degree, right. you know, or making progress on it. So like that is a more personal decision. So he'll be fine. Um, I think they've got a player there. I think he's somebody who could be an impactful skater at the NHL level, but. I think he'll be probably a three-year college player and then, you know, maybe some time in the AHL too. Right, right, definitely. So, yeah, and it's, it's, it's again, from, from all accounts, it seems like things uh, went went pretty well um, with that. So let's... And one quick note to add on him, people, uh-huh. if you remember, so he played on a line with Alex Newhook in the BCHL uh, in his draft year, and a lot of the concerns coming out were, okay, how much of... Alex Campbell's draft season was playing alongside Alex Newhook, and I would say we could probably all agree that last year he put those concerns largely to rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, all right, yeah. Now I'm looking to see where you had these guys ranked, so I could you know talk about you know where you know we could do the listeners could compare kind of. So again, Tomasino was picked at 24. You had him ranked at 18th. Um, so I think that was you know again. Good call on your part. Good value. Yeah. Um, looking at your second round grades, uh, let's see here. You had. Um, do you remember where you, were you? Oh, you have uh, Afanasyev at 34, which is about. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, nine picks ahead. So that was that's again pretty pretty good. Um, and again, I, I say this all the time for, for those of you listening. Um, Eric is very good at what he does. Um, you know, nobody can really always like 100% batting average in, in any kind of drafting, no matter what sport it is. But um, you know, even as a, as a stats guy like me, you can't really be watching a ton of players, and that's that's what Eric does. And so, you know. It's it's it, we're really lucky to have him in on the forecheck, and so make sure you are checking out his work all through the year because he's he's covering guys all all year. He doesn't really stop looking at prospects, and so um, yeah. So moving along, we have at, in the four two fourth round picks. Um, there is the first one is a defenseman. They're actually both defensemen, but this one's from uh, is uh, Mark Delgaizo. Yeah. Um... I, I think another player who, who they've got some value in here. Um, so his draft year, he was Kale McCarr's partner at UMass. His, excuse me, his, um, yeah, his draft year. And then Kale McCarr obviously went to Colorado. This past season, he, um, you know, a tough year. He was dealing with uh, really three separate injuries uh, that kept him out of the lineup for most of the first half of the season. So counting stats don't look great, but... Uh, he really got back into form quickly and, um, you know, had a productive end of the season. 
I think this is someone who should be challenging for a Hobie Baker award. Um, maybe not this season, but the season after. Uh-huh. And, um, I mean, similar to Ferentz, like very offensive-minded defenseman, loves to join the rush. Um, I think he's a bit better defensively. Um, but, you know, another guy I think at the very least could turn into a depth option for them moving forward. Yeah, and then the other fourth-round pick, another defenseman, a guy that you had ranked 71st on your draft board, but was picked at 117, which was a symptom just say his last name for me. Chistiakov. So, yeah, tell, tell me about him. Yeah, uh, I'm very high on Simeon Chistiakov. I think he might end up being their biggest value uh, from this draft class, uh, and I know I'm sounding repetitive, but I think they had a very good draft last year. Um, he is great. He's a, a small package. He's under six foot. Uh, was playing in the MHL last year, which is the Russian Junior League. Uh, had a midseason trade, had an injury he was dealing with. Uh, so wasn't on the ice a ton, but was fantastic at every stretch of the way. And now he is playing full time in the KHL this year. Uh, mm-hmm. At uh, 19, he, and not just like third pairing five minutes a night. And so I should also add, in the KHL, team can dress seven defensemen, like, and not subtract a forward. Like, you can draft, you can um, dress 19 skaters. So, like, his, I think his first two games, he was in the seventh defenseman, but like, his past, and he's played 14 games now, uh, his past, he's playing second pair of minutes mostly. Uh, with Oliver Kasky, but we're talking, you know, 18, 19, 20 minutes a night. So um, at his age in the KHL, very impressive. All right. That's that's good. And, again, that's, it was representing pretty good value um, on that. So, all right. So we've got then we go into the, the, the fifth round and beyond. Um, the fifth round pick was Ethan Hader, Hader um, goaltender. And so how, how, how did he do last season? Yeah, so he was also in the USHL last year. Um, struggled, but was on a bad um, Sioux City team, so not totally his fault. Uh, he'll also be going to Clarkson this year uh, with Campbell, um, and I think will probably be a three- or four-year college player. Um, bit of a project. I don't think this is someone maybe like Thomas Vomashka where they're projecting he can be, you know, AHL starter and beyond, but, you know, if he turns into something, then that's good. Gotcha. All right, so then we have uh, Isaac Walther, um, forward. Yes. Uh, the Swedish Junior League. Yes, good old Isaac. Um, he is an interesting player, uh, someone I did not have on my radar at all, uh, had never watched him play before they drafted him, Um he had a pretty disappointing year last year at the U20 level in Sweden, uh, but was also playing on a Södertälje team, which was historically bad. I think they had one of the worst seasons at the U20 level in Swedish history, um, like a minus like 138 goal differential or something wild. <laughs> it was like, really bad. Uh, so not totally surprising, but you know, in my viewings of him, he there were many where he was just taking shifts off, wasn't very engaged, um, 
just wasn't being the impact player that I think his size allows for him to be. Um, he's not a phenomenal skater, but he's got a good frame. He's got a really good shot, and he's a very underrated playmaker too. Um, but this year, his team's looking better. He's still at that U20 level, so you know, a bit behind the curve with some of his peers, but like he's also a six-round pick, so that makes sense. And in 10 games so far, he's got eight points, four of them primary even strength, 27 shots on that. Uh, he's a 19.46% goal score rate relative to his teammates. Um, looking pretty good. So, yeah. And so again, looking, looking for, a lot for better than he was last year, at least. For those of you listening, those numbers he just listed off, those aren't really numbers that you can that you find somewhere on a website to pull off. Like that's hand tracked. So again, it's it's just it really is amazing to, with with what Eric does. And was he the player, or was it the next player that um, Nashville? Who was it that Nashville that picked somebody and nobody knew who he was? Like they didn't was have him. him. Was it him? Yeah. Okay. And then the last pick of the draft last year at 210th overall was Yusuf Parsonen. Yes. <laughs> I love Yusuf Parson. I know I, you do. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, so seventh round pick, uh, was playing mostly at the U20 level in Finland last year, graduated to the Liga, which is a professional league, towards the end of the year. Uh, impressed. I think he, you know, probably exceeded expectations in that role. He was playing a lot of minutes alongside um, Lori Paginemi, who's a Rangers prospect. Um but had 12 points in 31 games at the legal level last year, again, as an 18-year-old. Uh, well, 18 slash 19. Um, he is back at the legal level this year full-time. Um, he's only played two games so far. The Finnish season just started. Um, he's got one point. Uh, he, uh, I mean, he's, I'll say this, you know, I think there's still going to be a learning curve with him. Again, 19-year-old playing in a professional men's league. Um, but he has been centering their top line the last two games and is also an assistant captain this year. So, you know, I'm not very much one for intangibles or, oh, maturity or whatever, but I think it's at least notable when a 19-year-old is wearing a letter at that age, at that level. Um, so just something to, to take stock of. Yeah, and I saw that you... Uh, after the draft, you gave him a, uh, you gave that pick an A. You were you were ecstatic about it from the beginning. You had him as a fifth round guy. So, yeah, I could not believe he fell to two ten. But uh, I think he, I mean, you're you're talking about a draft class here, which I think has the potential for, if we're being realistic, I think four, four to five guys who could make the NHL. Yeah, let's say four. I would say four. I'm guessing six who could, you know, two more who could have a shot, uh, and two more who are, who knows. So, but like four NHLers in one draft class is very impressive. Yeah, they got to make it. They got to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yes, yeah, to be fair, those four are Tomasino, Afanasiev, Chistiakov, and Parson. Right. Uh, and then I think the next two would be, uh, yeah, Campbell and Delgado, and then Hyder and. And Walter, who knows? All right. So to wrap this up, I guess we'll just begin since we're we're talking draft. Um, I kind of wanted to to go through a couple of other classes and and see you know what, get a, maybe a little bit of an update on on what they're what they're doing, what we could, should should expect from them, and, and kind of where we where, where they're going to be next year. 
Um, so I think I've, we've taught, we've mentioned uh, David Ferentz again. He's returning to Boston next season uh, for his fourth year, which again sparked some people on Twitter to start using the saying the name Jimmy VC, but I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, I think he's a guy. I think you know Eric Eric said he's probably going to be in Milwaukee after after that. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, I think so. Um, he's he's a different play. He's a different kind of defender than than Fabro. Um, uh, so yeah, but I think I don't think there's going to be any issue as far as him actually signing his contract. I think he just wanted to take one more shot with Boston, which there should be pretty good next year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, we know about what Tolman Tolman's doing. Um, I think personally, I think. I don't know that he should be a full-time player next season either. I think he should get a bunch more time than he has, but I don't know that he should be full-time yet. I don't think it's going to hurt him to play some more in Milwaukee, but uh, I don't know. I mean, tell me if you disagree. Um, I am indifferent on that, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not a great answer, but I mean, I'm you could, not particularly partial either way. Yeah, as I say, because I mean, I don't, I don't know that he's completely like capped out at the AHL level because I think he has some growing to do. Um, but I also think that I agree, but I I agree. I also am not necessarily sure that would be reflected in points, though. Like, I'm not sure that he's somebody who comes back and all of a sudden scores 30 more points at the AHL level. I oh, think no. from a technical side of the game, yes, but yeah. Okay. Um, and so then I guess another from that class is Grant Mismatch, another one of your, your guys. Uh, so that was this is from the 2017 pick uh, draft. So, you know, where was, how's he doing? Yeah, I mean, I was not a fan of that pick at the time. I'm still not a fan of that pick. Uh, just very much like a, I mean, I get it, right? He's somebody who is a very physical player, is, you know, fundamentally good to okay at most other things of the game. And, like, you're looking at that, U.S. national team that he came from, which was not fantastic because the U18 squad was having was guys that were playing um, that were playing a lot of like international time. So like Brady Kachuk was on that team, but he was like gone for international stuff. Quinn Hughes, same thing. But like the rest of that squad was like like Josh Norris led that team in scoring. Who I think Josh Norris is very much an NHL player or will be. Um, and then second on that team in scoring was Mismash, and I think that was more of a, bar- a mirage than it was anything else. Right. Um, I mean, I don't know. He's, like, you know, his sophomore year, so he had a really good freshman year, sophomore year injuries. Last year he was playing on the best line in all of the college hockey and uh, scored eight goals. So. Yeah. I was I almost called them by their old name, but yes, yeah. Um, I mean, like it cannot be overstated how dominant him, Jordan Kawaguchi, and Colin Adams were as a line, and he right. looked like a passenger basically every night. And it's just like I'm just I just don't see where his game goes from here. Like I just don't think there's another element he can add to really get to the next level. Like maybe he comes becomes a useful AHL player, but like I don't see an NHL player in this game. You know, again, I think intangibles are largely dumb, but, like, I think it's very notable that he is a senior this year in North Dakota and is not a captain, and this is a team that has, like, five captains. Mm -hmm. 
and it's like there are like underclassmen who are captains ahead of him. Um, yeah, and this is not like you know this isn't just some program again. Like the only hockey I really, I mean, I lived in North Dakota for eight years of my life, and I watched a whole lot of UND hockey. And you know, if you're a guy like this as a senior, you should yeah, he should you should be seeing stuff like this. You know, playing on top line, you should be seeing him as a captain. So that is a little bit concerning. Um, yeah, I mean, I, he'll probably score like 30 points this year. I mean, depending on how the season goes, and I just again, I can't see him any more than a okay HL player, if that. All right, and then um, I'm going to just talk about two or three more guys really quick. So um, first is going to be, and this is from 2016, the person that last off season you ranked as was it last off season or two off seasons ago that you last ranked year. the guy as the top prospect in the pipeline, and this was done. Pre-draft, correct? Correct. Yeah, and that's that's Rem Pitlick, and so uh, again, Poyle talked about him, mentioned him by name um, as far as guys getting time in the NHL. I mean, do you think he's ready? Um, I think he's close. I, I think mean, he certainly deserves some time, some call-up time this year. Um, I mean, this is the thing that I think we're always a little. And I get it, right? Like, this is not an organization that has blessed us with many an opportunity, but, like, I can't, for instance, taking Thomas Eno as an example, I can't recall the last time they had a CHL player who hit 100 points. Like, I know Taylor Beck didn't. I know it got closed, but he didn't. Like, that's a big deal. Like, that's a really big deal. And I don't think we, like, take for granted that, or we don't appreciate that enough. Rempelik is someone who, like, set all sorts of records in his 2015-16 season in the USHL with Muskegon, scored almost 90 points, which is a lot, uh, was one of the le- nation leaders in scoring his senior year in college. And it just kind of got, like, swept under the rug. Like, they, people were just like, eh, okay, you know. Um, like, he went into Milwaukee last year as the first player since, first admiral since Victor Arvidsson to score 20 goals. In his first season in the AHL, 36 points, was getting yeah. time in all situations, was centering a line, you know, the rotating cast of characters, but with, you know, at times with um, Tolvanen, with Salamaki, with Gaudreau. Um, I think he's someone who can play center and wing, but I think he's better as a center. Um, you know, I don't think he's a ready for full-time NHL action, but uh, I, you know, again, with the caveat that we may not have a full AHL season. And even if we do, you know, we can't expect, like, peak performance from these players necessarily. Like, this is a guy in a normal second full season in NHL, I think it easily hit 50 points. Um, so I don't think it's a stretch at all to say, like, he could play in the NHL in a season full-time and hit 30 points. I think he's that good. Uh, I think it's just about adding strength and, and just, you know, more consistency, you know, at a certain point, like, a prospect's skills cap out, right? And they're like, okay, like, this player's not going to get any better at, like, I should Basically, you're standing standing off rough rough edges at that point. Exactly, exactly. It's not that you, they're not going to get any better, right? Because, like, everyone, like, Austin Matthews got better year over year on a shot, right? And it's Austin Matthews. But what I mean is, they're not going to get any better to the point where, like, this particular skill, by doing more, will previously they weren't going to be an NHL player, and now they are, right? And so with him, I think a lot of things, it's just sanding off edges and, and really refining that complete game. And then I think he's fine, you know? Yeah. I mean, I get people have concerns about his size, and but I don't see them as an issue. 
Yeah, and to your point, I actually I had to check this because I thought because you said that there wasn't. You know, again, Nashville doesn't draft from the OHL very often, um, have a ton of OHL players. And you said that besides Tomasino, there's not been a ton of guys that they've had as 100-point scorers. But there is one other guy that um, currently is on the team that scored 100 points in the OHL. Is Austin Watson? Oh, God, no. Uh, oh, actually, I, I could check, but I don't think so. No, Ryan Ellis did. Oh, well, he's a defenseman. He doesn't count. Excuse me. That's which, an anomaly, which, though. Which That's website do you do you write for? What Ryan, team do you cover? No, no, here's the thing. I'm, we're talking about like Brian Ellis is like the greatest OHL defender of the century, right? Like he was like literally like the Taylor Hall of like the OHL on defense. But in terms of like someone who, God, he really did score 100 points. Holy shit! 24 <laughs> goals and 76 that, assists. That Windsor team was insane. I mean, they won. That that was the year for them, wasn't it? It was them and Hall and... uh, I don't even know if that was the year they won, actually. This is 2010-11. Yeah. um, I thought they won in, like, 09. Let's see. Uh, 09 they won, and uh, 09 and uh, 2010 they won. They lost in the conference finals uh, in 2010-2011. Yeah. Anyways, but yeah, Ellis was was very good. And, but again, yeah, Nashville doesn't take a ton of OHL guys, but that guy worked out. Um, yeah, that was a slam dunk though. That we knew that was going to be like there was simply no way he wasn't going to be as good as he was as he good as he is. He had eighty nine points two years prior. <laughs> My God. All right. Yeah. No, I love Ryan Ellis, and we talk about that often, so that's fine. All right. Sorry. Um, really quick. Um, so we talked about Pitlick. Um, I don't know. I I may save the Allard question for something that we may write because yeah, we shouldn't open that can of worms. Yeah. Um, so I'll ask you a quick question. Um, another 2016 pick. Does Hardy Heyman Actel exist? Yes, he does. Okay. Just want to make real. sure. I've seen him. Okay. Are you sure? All right. Um, They're not in the organization anymore, sadly. Yeah. Um. Like my last question, I guess, will be about their second round pick in 2015, a guy they just gave a two-year one-way contract to, um, and a guy, from what I've read, and if I remember correctly, you have um, you have ranked higher than, than the other guy that I'm hoping that they sign in, in Yakov Trenin. Um, I, I think, based on their NHL time, I think Blackwell's a little bit more complete of a player, and but... I mean, he's also like six years older too. That's true. Yes, but I just I wanted to I, I want to get your your thoughts on because again we're gonna see Yakov Trenin next year. Like we've got that's locked in now. Basically, his time in Milwaukee's for the most part done. So, um, what 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 can we expect out of him? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it'll be interesting to see how that bottom six really looks. Um, you know, Blackwell's still a free agent. Who knows what's up with Austin Watson? You know these things, but um, he's been, you mean Austin Watson, the guy who's starting the first of his three-year contract at one point five million dollars? God, are you kidding me? Yeah, that extension is unbelievable. That's <laughs> unreal. You know, first by round way, pick. it's so obvious that like they had many points this season that David Poyle regretted that extension like the second he signed it. And I'm like, why then why did you do it? But whatever. I, I uh, again I think I said this on I think I said this in maybe the locker room things, but I think there I, I think this is one of those things where the organization wanted to help out. Yeah. Um, yep, I don't know yeah. why they helped out for on a, with a three year contract, but I think that's what they did. 
Um, I also think there was a bit of a different sense of urgency slash pressure when Laviolette was still here in regards to his situation, and John Hines is obviously not as connected to that scenario, but... um, But Hines put him back into the playoffs. Anyways, sorry. He also scratched him, too. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Jakob Trenin is going to be someone who's probably a useful bottom six player for a while. Um who is not, like, a net negative on the ice in terms of shot share and, and you know, things of that nature. Um, I think he's definitely graduated from the AHL. I mean, it was over a point per game last year in the AHL, scored 20 goals in 32 games. Um, you know, he is someone I think that they should experiment with using on the power play moving forward, especially if you're having guys like Grandland and Smith leave. Um, I think... Player, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he's, he's just like, that's the thing, right? It's like when you look at teams like Tampa and stuff like that, like Cedric Paquette isn't good or like, you know, Pat Maroon isn't good. The difference is that they're not bad, right? Like the problem in that this organization has failed to address at both on the blue line and up front is that they're not just using replacement level players or slightly above replacement level players for depth. They're using like significantly net negative players, right? Yeah. Yep. And it's like nobody's saying like Colin Blackwell is like gonna score twenty goals because he isn't. But also if Colin Blackwell can get off the ice with like a shot share that is above fifty percent, then like please, you know? <laughs> like, that isn't getting, like, shelled in his own end for two minutes a shift. Like, that would be great. And I think that's exactly what Jack Hoptron brings to the table. Again, I don't... I mean, I think he can probably score 10, 15 goals down the line, but, um, you know, he's not going to be a star. But, again, you're just... You have to fill out this roster with players that can succeed, not players that you can shelter most of the game and then throw out there, close your eyes, and hope for the best, you know? Yeah, and to your point, um, some some really smart person did, did the review on Colin Blackwell's season last year, and um, out of like his top like nine or ten line combinations he played with, only I think two of those combinations had below fifty percent shot share. Um, so you know he Blackwell had a really really um, weird season last year that he played with so many different. I mean he spent five games with Sissons and and Johansson. Um, that's which is weird, and then you know he spent nine games with Turris and Smith. Um, I thought the Blackwell Turris Trennan line actually was pretty good. Um, I like that line, oddly enough, for for, for Turris, but I like Blackwell a lot, and I think he's a guy maybe you can put in on on a third line, but uh, we'll see. So um, yeah, so I think that's gonna about do it. I think. Oh no, I'm sorry, because we, we got another guy that we basically Poyle said is gonna be playing next year. Um, and Carrier, uh, yeah, just real quick about him. Yeah, I mean, look, like, it's the same thing, right? Like, you know, uh, obviously Dan Ham used to retiring. It seems clear Yannick Weber will not be back. Um, Jared Tenorti inexplicably has a spot on this roster next year. Um, yeah. But, you know, Corbinian Halser will be gone. Um you you just got to be filling out this roster again with these guys that at the very least can mitigate these chances against 
I'm not the biggest fan of Carrier. I think he's got some skating issues that he's failed to address in this time in the AHL. Um, it's clear this team thinks he's ready for full-time NHL duty. I mean, he's not any worse than the other options they've been rolling out, and I think he's probably reached his apex in the AHL, so I get it. Um, but, you know, this isn't someone like Jeremy Davies, who um, I think is, like, a legitimate top four potential. Like, I think Kerry is more of a bottom pair guy. Yeah. So. Yeah, or him or, you know, someone like Frederick Allard. But, yeah. Um, okay, well, I think that's going to cover. I think that's, you know, I just wanted to kind of hit on some of those guys in the past drafts that we're going to be seeing a whole lot more of. Um, I, again, really, really appreciate you joining me for these two. I know this is a lot. You've been super busy for, like, the last month, and you're going to be even busier probably for the next week and a half, two weeks. Um, but, yeah, if you want to go ahead and tell us, you know, where we can find you, what you've got in the pipeline real quick, and so that way people can make sure they're paying attention to what you do. Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at OnTheFutureOTF, and this week uh, I will have stories coming out, I think, almost every day. Um, definitely tomorrow, Tuesday, is night one of the NHL draft. Uh, I'll have a bit of a quick react to each pick afterwards. Uh Wednesday's day two, I'll kind of have a quick summary of the Preds' two-day uh, work, and then uh, in the days after that, um, I'll have a more uh, more in-depth video breakdown of each uh, of Nashville's picks, so uh, be on the lookout for all that. All right. Well, thank you, Eric, again. Uh, we, we, we'd be lost without you, so we're, we're really, really glad to have you. Um, so... Uh, talking about this this podcast, this is going to be this is episode four, I believe, um, and now we, we've got a little bit more information for you. So you can find the the t- dedicated Twitter account for this this podcast at ForeCheckPod on Twitter. Um, we're going to go ahead and you'll see that as as we post this episode um, uh, tomorrow, hopefully. Um, and pay attention because. Uh, Sean, one of our other co- co-hosts, he has some giveaways that we may be giving away, uh, you know, giving to you guys uh, as far as you know, following the, the the Twitter account and everything like that. So make sure you guys are listening out for that. Um, you should be able to find the podcast in Google Podcasts, um, uh, Apple Apple Podcasts, I believe. It should be there by now. There's some of these. It took us a little while to kind of sort out whatever the the deal was with this, but. Um, but yeah, and so make sure you guys are doing like that locker room where we do our kind of more, some of our more of our live reaction stuff. We should be going live into like wider circulation on the iOS App Store soon. We'll give you more information on that, and then keep an eye out during draft on Tuesday and Wednesday. We may be doing a little bit of live streaming stuff there too. So um, again, I'm Brian Baston. You can find me on Twitter at Brian Baston, Brian with a Y. And uh, yeah, we've got a ton of stuff for you and. Make sure you guys are, are keeping keeping an, an eye on, on the forecheck because this is going to be a very busy offseason. So thanks once again to, to SB Nation and Box Media for having us on here, and we will see you guys next time.